You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Let's pray, because I know I need to. God, um, we are very, very thankful for a new year. We are very, very thankful that um, you always are the God of new beginnings, and we are a people who await the day when everything will be made new again. Not just flipping a calendar, but everything will be made new. And we thank you that you are the God who is gracious and merciful and faithful to us. We thank you that this week um, there were some levels to which you muted a storm, um, even though there was other levels to which you didn't. We ask for, there are people in our church who are in kind of some scary places, and a lot of us are carrying anxiety right now in the next 48 plus hours of the days ahead about storms and and more water and these kinds of things. And while we are dearly thankful that our water supplies are being restored, we do ask that just by your power and by your grace that you would guide and even direct these storms in such a way that it rebuilds and restores without doing more damage Um, protect the families of this church and protect others. And we do ask for people in our community and restaurateurs and others who are going to have to literally rebuild their lives and their livelihoods as a result of these storms, that the community at large can be there to help them. Um, So God, meet with us this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as most of you know, a lot of you know, maybe some of you don't know, um, Going back to 2012, at this time, I've had a lot of personal experience with final goodbyes um, to loved ones in the last decade. My mom passed away in February, leap day is when she went home to Jesus in February of 2012. I said goodbye to my brother Paul, tragically, in an accident in the ocean on Christmas Eve three years ago. We lost Alita's brother, Pete, three, two, uh, last year at Christmas. And as many of you know, we announced that I lost my dad the uh, Saturday before Christmas or the week before Christmas. And sometimes final goodbyes, they include, you know, one last um, fully conscious conversation with your loved one where you're getting to talk and converse with them in the hours and maybe moments leading up to their final breath. And I've, I've never had that experience. I've not had that yet in my life. Um, <clears throat> sometimes, excuse me, by the way, I'm recovering from a cough from the flu too. <clears throat> but sometimes a loved one is taken from you so quickly that you don't have a final goodbye conversation and all you have is just the last conversation that you had good or bad and you hope it was good right and that was my experience with my brother Paul and with Alita's brother Pete when he passed um the other times your 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 dying loved one is already in a thin space they're already in that thin space between heaven and earth and they're not responsive anymore and all the only person who's doing the talking is you and you're talking into their ear and they're holding their hand and that's the only conversation that's taking place and that was me with my mom and with my dad 
But what I will say is that no matter what the final goodbye finally looks like, there is a common thread. And the common thread is this, is you want so badly for them to know how much they mattered to you. And you want to know from them how much you mattered to them. And you want to know what, as you're breathing your last breath, what in your life mattered the most to you? No matter what what the goodbye looks like, that's a common thing. And as I prepare to bury my father um, and to remember his life, life, I've been going through files and records, as you can imagine. And um, I discovered this last note that he wrote to me and my brothers. And he wrote it years ago when he was of sound mind and body, as I would advise all of us to take seriously to get your affairs in order when you're of sound mind and body, to make sure there's a trust and there's a last will and testament. And what do you want when you're in the hospital for your loved ones to know so they don't have to be forced to guess? And he had done all these things and he put them together. And at the end, he wrote this. He says this, as these notes end, it's important to write again something you already know. Both mom and I are so proud and thankful for each of you. You're a gift he's given us, and we love you deeply. Our whole family is so special, and this is the blessing we pray for you. The Lord, may the love of the Lord surround you. May the hope of the Lord encourage you. May the peace of the Lord fill you. May the power of the Lord uphold you and make your impact for him irresistible. (laughs) What a gift. But I will say this, is that mortality has made me and the ones I love have to nail down what really matters. What does this thing really, what's life all about? And guess what? Mortality forces all of us to nail down the things that really, like really matter in our life. There's just something about the final end that brings about this deep desire to share and to know. And what I mean by that is, is that for the person who's dying, if they are able to do so, there is this desire to share from their heart what matters most to them as they reach the final end of their life. And then there's the desire for those of us who will remain as we're saying goodbye. There's a desire to know what matters most to them as they're summing up their life and they're breathing their last breaths. And then when you add to this, when you're facing mortality, well, most of us, when we face mortality, we start to consider about, well, what does God think? If I'm thinking about, and we are thinking, my loved one who's dying, what matters most to us? You start thinking about, well, what matters most to God? About me and about you and about the world. And I was thinking about that this week, and my immediate thought was, well, you know, God isn't mortal, so there isn't any moment when God reaches an end that makes God nail down what matters most to him. But then I thought again, and I went, wait a minute, that's actually not true. The Son of God became mortal. He became mortal, and he did face a finite end to his life as he faced the cross. And so did Jesus leave us any sort of like deathbed-like expression of his deepest desires? Actually, here's what's interesting. We all know Jesus didn't get to die in a bed. 
He, he wasn't afforded that special privilege of a sort of a hospice-like setting for his death. We know that that's not what happened for him. But all the Gospels, they tell us that um, Jesus had a Passover meal with all of his disciples in the upper room. And the book of John that we're going to dive into here in a minute, the book of John, it, he tells us that right after Judas was told by Jesus, whatever you're going to go do, go do it. And he leaves to, to enact his betrayal plan. Right after that, Jesus did a lot of, of sharing and teaching and talking and praying with the remaining 11 disciples. I mean, then it started to get really heart to heart, really intimate. And in John chapter 17, the book, the, the chapter we just cracked open, Jesus prays to the Father in front of the other 11 remaining disciples. They're listening to Jesus pray out loud the most passionate prayer that even though Jesus is not on a deathbed, it's, it's basically his deathbed requests. And that's what we're going to be studying as we start this new year is deathbed requests. I know, you know, you guys have heard the preaching team talk in, in funny ways about how much Andy plans way in advance. And I do. And it's always uncanny how the Holy Spirit just knows way in advance, months ahead, sometimes a year in advance. This was the series we were going to do coming right out of my own personal crucible of saying goodbye to my dad on his deathbed. We want to take a look at Jesus again. We've been talking about this probably since last spring, that we as a church, we just got to get back to looking at Jesus. And we're going to do this by studying this prayer where Jesus lays open his heart and he expresses his deepest desires for his followers before he takes the cross. And so with that in mind, I want you to have your Bibles and turn to John chapter 17, and we're going to read the first five verses together. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is God's word. I think it's beautiful that as Jesus faces the cross, the first thing he says that he's most concerned about, he's praying for himself in these first five verses, but in it we hear an expression, the first thing he's most concerned about is that people know the reality of the beauty within God. Here's how he describes the aching beauty within God. In verse 1, he says this. He says, glorify me that I may glorify you. And in verse 5, he says it this way. He says, glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. To glorify means to uh, praise and appreciate, to serve and to please another, all motivated out of love for the other. 
So genuine, untainted love does a natural sort of glorifying activity consistently as it relates to the object of its love. That's what genuine love is going to do. And that means what Jesus is talking about is that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all eternity have been pouring out glory, praising and appreciating, serving and pleasing out of love. And they've been pouring it out into one another's hearts for all eternity past in levels and vast amounts that we can't even imagine. Like an atmospheric river doesn't even come close to how much they've been pouring that out into one another for all of eternity. And Jesus is telling us the fact that God within God is infinitely and delightfully happy. God's happy. God is not, in the Bible, a single entity being. There are monotheist religions in the world that are very adamant, and I I appreciate their passion for this, that no, God is one. There's only one person within the person of God. And yet the God of the scriptures of our Bible, the 66 books of the Bible, is not a single entity God. He is a God that is a communal being as one God. He's communal, who's constantly dealing with a heart set within God that says to all the persons within the Trinity, what would make me happiest is you at your happiest. That's what the Son is saying to the Father, and the Father to the Spirit, and the Spirit to the Son, and the Son to the Father, and what would make me happiest is you at your happiest. And they've been doing this all the way back to ancient eternity past. And that means that when God created the world, God did not create the world to get something from us. God didn't create to get our worship and our love. Because if God was a single entity God, there's only one person within God, well, that would be why he'd have to create, to get our worship, to get our love, because there's no relationship within a single entity God. There's no relationship there. But that's not who our God is. Our God is not a single entity God. He is this God, is tripersonal, who's already experiencing worship and love within God in vast amounts that you and I could never add to, really. And so when God created the world, and when God gave you life, and when God gave me life, He created in order to give the happiness and the delight and the love that he has within himself. That's why he made us. And when Jesus asked God that God bring him glory now, the now is he's talking about the cross. Now, when he says, bring me glory now on the cross, Jesus is not talking about... um, Glory that will come after the shame of the cross is over. He is talking about, this is crazy. He is talking about the glory that is in the shame of the cross. It's fully present in looking at all the shame of the Son of God hanging on the cross. Meaning that when we as God's people, we look at the cross, we are not gazing at some sort of strange thing we're grateful for, but very strange that God was willing to do just one time. And I think for many years, that's what I thought the cross was. 
that I'm just gazing at something that was wonderful and gracious and merciful of God, a very strange thing that he was willing to do just one time. That is not what was happening. What Jesus is saying in this priestly prayer is that what we are looking at is the glorious thing that God always does as God all of the time. When we look at the cross, that's who he is. That there is no greater glory to God than to lay down your glory for the sake of others. That's how God functions. And out of this description of the eternal love and happiness and delight within God, Jesus just expresses this longing. Now, this is kind of like a a mashup Andy Lewis, Eugene Peterson translation of of, of, of verses 2 and 3, and I'll put it up on the screen. Here's what he says. You put me in charge of everything human so that I might give real and eternal life to all who are in my care. And this is the real and eternal life, that they may know you and they know me, the one and only true God. (coughs) Do you hear Jesus' longing? That all people be invited into this delighting God. Of, of, of ancient love. That the eternal life that Jesus is offering to people is not a lot of the ways in which we have often defined salvation. It's not like, you know, where salvation is something like, my, my life is my cell phone and salvation is, is the heavenly QR code. And I just happen to stumble upon it and scan it and I get taken to the heavenly web address. And that's salvation. That's not salvation. Nor is salvation a string of magic words. If any of us have watched Harry Potter, you know how magic works. You have to have a certain amount of words set in a certain order in order to unlock whatever power, right, you're going to get within the universe. And some of us think that that's what salvation. That is not salvation. You have the right words, you say them in a certain order, and it unlocks heaven or eternal life for you. It is not having the right numbers in the right order or the facts that unlock infinite happiness. That's not salvation. Eternal life is, and here's what Jesus says, it is deeply, intimately personal. It's knowing God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It is to enjoy the overwhelming delight within the Trinity by participating and communing with God as God communes within himself. It's to enter into the infinite happiness within God by participating just like God functions with himself. Well, if God's the one giving glorifying within himself, well, then I enter into by glorifying God, by praising and appreciating and serving and pleasing out of love without having concern for myself. That's salvation. And when we know God in this way, we are saved from the implosion of self-worship, which is what leads us to hell. And we, are, we, 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 we enter into our happiness grows and expands out into the expanse of God's infinite happiness. And that's the journey of salvation. See, to try to wrap up this probably much more dense, like we're talking about the Trinity, really? We're going to do that at the beginning of the year here, Andy? And you're going to trip my circuits with this stuff? Yes, we are, because what Jesus is praying, what Jesus is getting at is that Jesus wants us to experience the extreme delight within God. 
That's the project of why he came, to experience extreme delight within God. Now, I can say that, and of course, there's that little nagging feeling inside of all of us, you know, that, that, that somehow confuses the brokenness of the world and the brokenness of life and to confuse those things with God. And even when God is not the same thing as life in a broken world, we can get those things confused. And of course, it's very easy to somehow think that God is in the business of holding out a little bit or holding out a lot, or God is in the business of piling on in your life and to make your life difficult and more miserable. It's easy to end up in these places with questions. Why doesn't God stop piling on in my life? Or why can't God make my life meet the specifications that I desire for my happiness? Why can't God do that? Of course we go there. But Jesus makes it very clear here that the Trinity is not the same thing as life. Don't get the two confused. That God is not a God who's holding out on us. Uh Uh-uh. Never accuse him of that. You can have your fun doing it, and he'll receive it. But just know, at the end of the day, if you really examine who God is, you're not going to win that argument. God is the God who is bubbling over with extreme delight. And he doesn't need anything from us. But he longs to share with us the ongoing, glorifying delight that God is experiencing all the time from eternity past within himself. And so as Jesus turned his face to the cross, Jesus pleaded with the Father that he would open up our ability to know heart, soul, mind, body, the experience of God's heart within God. That we would open up our experience of like, wait, God is within God saying the thing that would make me the happiest is you at your happiest? That's who God is? That we would have that experience. And that without it also that we would understand God's heart towards us. Because guess what God is saying to us? What would make me happiest is you at your happiest. And then we becoming a people developing a heart toward God that learns to say back to God, what would make me happiest Is you at your happiest. And then can turn to the significant people in our lives and say to them, what would make me happiest is you at your happiest. To function like the Trinity functions. Jesus longs for us to enter into an encounter with God on the terms of how God exists. So that in that experience, we enter into the expanse ourselves of God's infinite happiness. No matter what we face. So what do we do with this? <laughs> Here's a thought. Um, the book of Exodus, chapter 3, it tells us that Moses was out on the backside of a God-forsaken desert tending sheep for his father-in-law Jethro. His life probably in his mind by that point had completely flamed out. He was once in Pharaoh's home had learned all the sciences and maths and all the greatness of the Egyptian life, but that was 40 years ago, and now he's tending sheep. And while he's watching the sheep, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 3, let me quote it, said, quote, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush, unquote. God shows a very strange way, we'll all admit that, 
very strange way to do this, to present himself, as God continues to find very strange ways to present himself in our lives. He kind of does that. Well, it goes on to say in the text, and let me again quote it, it says, quote, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up, unquote. In other words, uh, he saw a bush on, on, on fire in the distance. And I will tell you, honestly, for years I thought, oh, okay, so the miracle was a bush on fire that kind of spontaneously you know, lit up. Actually, no, that was not the miracle. In fact, I did some research on this a couple of years ago, and I, did, I found out that to this day, it's actually not that big of a deal for shrubs and bushes to spontaneously ignite on fire on the backside of the deserts of the Sinai region. They, they will just do that. So that was not actually the miracle. So Moses saw some bush on fire, which actually was not that big of a deal, warranting more than just a glance. Oh, another bush on fire. For us from, you know, California, we'd be like, what? But not for Moses. But Moses, not knowing God wanted to meet him in this bush, he just noticed one little different factor. The bush wasn't burning up. It wasn't just falling to the floor of the desert in, a, in an ash heap. That's di- that was different. Like, wait, what? I've seen bushes catch on fire and then just burn and consume, and then they fall in an ash heap. This one's still burning. And so the Bible goes on to tell us that Moses thought, again, I quote, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up, unquote. In other words, Moses chose to draw closer to something that had just enough added mystery behind it that he wanted to see what was going on. And then when he did, he encountered the mystery and the compassion of Yahweh. And even heard for the first time, who's the name of God? Yahweh. And I tell you that, I humbly submit that the God that Jesus is telling about in his deathbed request in John chapter 17 is the same God who invited Moses to draw closer. And he invites you and I to draw closer. That God's God is ever in the daily stuff. God's, God's even in grief. He's been meeting with me a lot in grief. He's in the daily stuff that we could easily think. It's, it's just only, it's only worth a glance. And he's got so much more for us to discover and enjoy of his extreme delight. If we'll just draw closer. And just get over all these games that we play. Is he really good? I don't know. Why well, That church was really bad, and I'm not sure God is really good. <laughs> Jesus wants us to experience the extreme delight within God. And so what my encouragement for us as we are starting to study in this new year is draw closer to the delight that is within God. Now, how do you do that? Uh, there's, there's probably a hundred different ways that we could express, but here's the ones that I came up with as I was praying this week. How do you draw closer? Let's start with talking about our emotions. You're like, Andy, please, let's not talk about our emotions. I don't like emotions. They make me uncomfortable. I get it. But they are gifts from God to have emotions. Our emotions can be like the burning bush within us, right? I'm angry. And you could just, like Moses, who could have looked at the burning bush and go, oh, just another burning bush. And you could go, just another rage. 
that I feel inside and just glance at it. We could treat it like that. But what I mean is that emotions can be a common thing. It doesn't feel like much of a worth of a, a more than a glance, but God's actually in our emotions. The spirit is speaking inside of our emotions. And God's actually within them to meet us there if we will, like Moses did with the unconsumed bush, draw closer. So it's a new year. So my question to you is, are you sad? I'm feeling a lot of sadness these days. Pretty thick layer of it. Well, don't run from your sadness. Don't just glance at it and go, yeah, you're sad. Don't medicate. Don't run from it, but pay attention to your sadness. Sit down in it. Let the, let the, let the waves of sorrow, like the waves that were crashing over Walton Lighthouse, just let it hit you. Let it. Let it hit you. Feel it. Feel it with Jesus. Feel it with the Holy Spirit. And through his spirit, let him be present with you so that he can weep with you. And he can comfort you. That's how you get through it. Are you mad? There's a lot of things in this world right now to be mad at. Don't just give it a glance. Go, oh, yeah, another thing I'm mad at. Admit, you're mad. Let yourself feel rage and sorrow, which I know for me a lot of times when I'm angry, it's, it is a mix. It's a cocktail of rage and sorrow. And, and, and just, just admit, let yourself feel the combined inside of you and let, let Jesus Christ, through his spirit, just be present with you in your anger to help you process it. If you, if you don't want to be living with that rage, you want to know how you get rid of it? It's by doing that. You sit with Jesus at the burning bush of your rage and let Yahweh, through the Spirit of Christ, speak to you. Are you glad? I got to throw that out there because somewhere out there, there's somebody who might be happy in this world right now. Are you glad? Well, don't just pass by this moment or this season of happiness. And I, I know for years I was bad at this. Like when something good would happen, I would just be like, yeah, great, good, check the box, move on. Because it was almost like this mindset. It was like, well, that's how it's always supposed to happen. There should be gladness all the time. Instead of like, just, no, come on, slow down, Lewis. Like, enjoy the God, the fact that God's being good. Slow down. Bring yourself to be fully present to all the relief and the pleasure and the happiness that you feel and let Jesus by his spirit just enjoy it with you. Enjoy it. Let me say one other thing too. These are just one way to be present by to your emotions. But let me also say a word about rising up and stepping back into spiritual rhythms in our lives. I like spiritual rhythms because most of us, we recoil when I say spiritual discipline, right? Because we're like, discipline, eh. So I won't say spiritual discipline, but I mean the same thing. Spiritual rhythms. <laughs> In 2023, I get it. We've all been in a state of languish. And as life has piled on for me in this last month, I am feeling it with you. I just want to stay in my state of language. I get it. But um, at some point in our state of languish, that inside of us, we are going to have to have a conversation with our state of languish inside of us, all of us. 
And we're going to have to have the conversation with our state of languish that comes post-pandemic and the economy and all the divisiveness and all that stuff. We talked about it ad nauseum. But at some point, we've got to come to a point of asking ourselves and having a conversation with ourselves and say, has this been long enough? Have you had that question posed to yourself within yourself yet? Has this been long enough? Is it time to get back into life-giving rhythms? And I will just say to you, these are some key rhythms that I so desperately need all of the time. And I just encourage for you that it's maybe time to start, start rising up out of the languish. Rhythms like worship. Are there rhythms of worship that you've got to get back to individually in your life? But not just individually, also communally. Yeah, it actually matters that we gather together regularly. I just heard a statistic recently that people who are attending church two weeks out of every four before the pandemic are now one week out of every four. And I'm looking at people who are living that. It's happening everywhere. So is it time for us to go, hold on, this, is this good for me for this long? To be able to get back to communal rhythms, we really need to reestablish that help us. I need you. Believe me, in these last weeks, I've needed your prayers. I've needed your hugs. I've needed communal worship, even though I didn't have it in me to show up. To be able to draw closer to the delight that is within the person of God. We need that. Another one that I definitely need is scripture. Are there rhythms of consuming God's love letter? That book that you're holding in your hand is God's love letter to you. He loves you, and he's revealed himself to you in that scripture. Uh, as there are times to get back into that scripture that will help you draw closer to the delight that is within the person of God. Prayer. Are there rhythms of conversational communing with God that are going to help you draw closer to delight within the person of God? I don't, God doesn't care if you're just having a conversation with him on one extreme of it's like, I just need a better parking space. There's so much rain coming down. Can I be at the very front of Trader Joe's instead of over there? Can you help? He doesn't care. He'll have that conversation with you. All the way to the ones where it's like, where did you go? The lights went out, God, and everything in between. God says, come and talk to me. Have communion with me through conversation all the time. And finally, stewardship or generosity are the rhythms of investing your time. You know, there's so much of us that we've just, we're still in our, um, what is that thing you just bought, Alita? The rumple? The rumple? It's like this blanket jacket thing or something like that. Or, or you're under the covers of your bed. Whatever it is, it's like all of us in our state of language are kind of like, oh, you need some help? Uh, I don't know. I'll just leave this blanket over my nose for a little longer. It's like, oh, does the church need help with a little bit? Uh, uh, right? I know. I get it. I've been feeling it too. So I, I, please, I understand. But are there rhythms of investing your time and your talent and your treasure in the renewal of broken people and a broken world that that's how we actually will draw closer to be experiencing the delight that is within the person of the Trinity? I hope I knew this made sense. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come on up, um, Calvin, and uh, just, yeah, you guys go ahead and get plugged in. And let me just say this as I finish. We draw closer to the delight within God 
Because as we do, we are transformed into people of delight. Even in the valleys of the shadow of of death. And in a minute, we're going to take communion. We're going to sing a few songs before we do. But when we take communion, we feast on the bread. We feast on the bread, remembering that the Son of God's body was broken to deliver me into God's mercy, which is God not giving me what I deserve. And the more and the more and the more that I feast on not getting what I deserve, I'm transformed into a person of mercy myself. And in a minute, we're going to drink the cup, remembering that the Son of God shed his blood to deliver me into God's grace, which is God's delight in giving me access into everything that the Son of God has, that I have a full share in everything, rights and privileges that the Son of God has that's been given to me as a right, as a, as a privilege because I have believed on the Son of God. And that the more and the more I drink in receiving the riches of the delight within God, I become transformed myself into a person of grace. So let's continually taste and see our God's good. And then taste some more to see how much more good God is. And become people, even in this new year, whose happiness grows into and expands out into the infinite happiness of God, no matter what we face. Let's pray. Father God, Son of God, and Holy Spirit, Holy Three, thank you for the delight that is within you, raging and bubbling over all the time before there even was time. And thank you that you wanted to make us in your image and that even when we decided to go our own way in a garden and we flipped you off and said, no, thanks, we'll do it ourselves quite more effectively. Thank you. You said, "Mm -mm, I'm not giving up. And you pursued us and you've chased us with your mercy and your grace because you want to include us into your infinite delight. God, I don't even know that I get what I've just taught, honestly. But I want to know more of it. And I pray that all of us can know more of it. In the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.